Hello and welcome to Resilient Faith, a podcast ministry of Brentwood Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles, California. I'm Janice McQueen Ward, the worship elder at BPC, and I want to welcome and thank you for being here with us. Over the holiday season, we will focus on sermons from our current Advent series, Reconciled. We will explore returning to harmony and balance with God and our world today as Jesus opened the door for us to live in right relationships with each other, creation, and ourselves. Let's begin that journey. When our son Clay turned three and a half years old, I was bowled over with a revelation that hit me like a freight train. Because as many of you know, when I was three and a half years old, my sister was tragically killed in a car accident. And she had really been the center of my world and I always grew up knowing that her death had profoundly affected me. But the truth is that many of my teen and young adult years I spent a lot of time thinking, okay, now come on, really? Wasn't I too young to really know what was going on? How could I have had any idea of what death meant or what loss meant or what it meant to lose my sister in my life? But then, when our daughter turned three and a half years old, I mean, our son turned three and a half years old, and we could see how close he was to his sister, how she really was the center of his entire little world, it became so clear to me just how devastated he would have been if he had lost Ryan at that age. I felt it again when each of our kids turned seven, and I thought about how hard it must have been for my mom to lose her daughter at that age. I could really feel and imagine, I, or I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to lose either of our kids. I don't think that I would have ever recovered. And now it's happening once again. As our daughter Ryan turns 15 years old, because the scholars say that Mary was probably about 15, when the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that she was pregnant with God's baby. And I get so emotional now when I think about the way that I would probably respond now that Ryan's 15 if she had to come to me and tell me that she was pregnant, whether she was claiming that it was immaculately conceived or not. I want you to listen to the way that Luke tells this story in the beginning of his gospel. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, you think, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him 
Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. You know, we preachers spend a lot of time and energy this time of year trying to imagine how everyone else would have felt about Mary's news. How her parents would have taken it, the neighbors, the community, what gossip there would be, what a scandal there would have been. We shudder at the idea of what the religious leaders would have done if they had found out. It was written in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, that if a woman fell pregnant when she was engaged to someone else, she was to be stoned to death. And in Matthew, he spends most of his time and attention telling us how, how Joseph handled the news. And actually, very fortunately, he probably handled it about as good as anyone could expect. But now that my own daughter, Ryan, is 15, all I can think about as I read this story once again is what must have been going through Mary's mind. What that experience must have been like for her. I think about Ryan and I can only imagine how scared she must have been. How worried she would be to tell me, to tell us, how scared she'd be that she had disappointed us or let us down, that we might be mad at her or think less of her, that she might not know what to do or who she could even turn to. And I don't know how other fathers would respond to that kind of news. But now that Ryan's 15, I know exactly how I would respond. All I would want to do in that moment is to grab her into my arms and tell her how much I love her. To tell her how loved she is by all of us, how wonderful she is, how proud she has always made us of her. I would want her to know how much we love her and adore her. I would want her to know that there is nothing that she could ever do or could ever happen to her in this world that would make us love her one iota less. That she is going to be okay, that we are going to get through this, that she is going to be okay no matter what this world throws at her. I would want her to know that our love for her is assured, that she is cherished and precious and adored in our eyes exactly as she is. 
And so the question that I have burning in my mind as Ryan turns the same age as Mary and we read this story once again, I find myself asking, what is it in Mary's life that leaves us with the distinct impression that she knows and believes all of these things down to the core of her being and the bottom of her toes? Because there is something about Mary, isn't there? Something that makes her so different from all of the other characters we see in this Christmas story. There's something that has made her the most admired, cherished, revered woman in all of human history. Not just for Catholics, but for everyone. Not just for Christians, but for everyone. There is some reason that beside her son Jesus, there is no human being on this planet who has had more paintings painted of her, more sculptures sculpted of her, more stories and poems and lore written about her. So where does this come from? What is it about Mary that gave her that peace and that presence that we all admire and long for so much that made her someone who when the angel Gabriel is telling her she's going to be pregnant as a virgin engaged to someone else, she's able to say, let it be. Let it be as you have said. What is it about her that when everyone was kind of running around frantically on that Christmas night, the shepherds coming down, the angels, the wise men, people praising God and singing hallelujah, that she was able to sit there quietly and treasure up and ponder all of these things in her heart. What is it about Mary that allowed her to stay there under the cross of Jesus while everyone else had scattered and run away and to be there with her son as he's executed by the Roman government? Somehow Mary has become an icon for us of poise and confidence and peace and serenity. It's the reason that when football teams have their backs up against the wall and they need the poise and the confidence to pull victory out of the jaws of defeat, what do we say? They throw a what? A Hail Mary. There's a reason that no other human being full human being has ever been depicted in art as much. A number of years ago, there was a story about a woman in Hollywood, Florida, who was making a grilled cheese sandwich one day when suddenly she noticed the face of Mother Mary in the grilled cheese sandwich. And so quickly, she took it off the griddle and she packed it into a plastic box with cotton balls and she saved it for 10 years. <coughs> She finally decided that maybe she ought to sell it. So she pulled it back out and she put it up on eBay and it got 1.6 million hits. Finally, the online gambling casino, um, uh, goldenpalace.com, won it for $28,000. And the woman in Florida, she actually said when she was packing it up to send it to this place, she didn't want to give it away, even for $28,000. She said that this grilled cheese sandwich had been there for her through some of her most difficult times those last 10 years. What is it about Mary? 
There is something about her in this story that draws us all to her. Last week, Laura began this Advent journey by talking about John the Baptist and the fruits of repentance that take hold when we become reconciled with God. When we find that we have had a real encounter with the unshakable, scandalous, life-transforming, relentless love of God. What is it that made Mary so different to the people around her? I think she said it in that story. Did you hear? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be. Let it be to me as you have said. Mary had been reconciled with God. She knew who she was and she knew whose she was. She knew that she was loved and adored and cherished exactly as she had been created and that nothing she went through in this life could ever rob that from her. Because we human beings, typically, we spend a lot of our lives desperately scared that we are not enough, which causes us to spend so much of our lives trying to prove ourselves, trying to prove to others that we are special and important and capable and belong. From the time that we're little, we're thrown into this relentless game of competing and posturing to try to prove ourselves. We pretend that we're things that we aren't. We try to cover up our flaws and our weaknesses. We wear masks to try to cover up our real selves. John Powell, in his famous book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am, says, Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because you might not like who I am. And it is literally all that I have. But when you allow yourself to receive this love that God is offering to each one of us, when you have given your life to God and you've been reconciled with God, when you know who you are in God, how much God loves you, when there's no longer a need to try to puff yourself up or to tear others down in order to believe that you are good enough. You start to understand that you're beloved and adored just as you are. And over time, that realization, it changes you. It allows you to not just be reconciled to God, but reconciled to yourself as well, to get in touch with your true self, that you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to prove anything or hide anything because once you know how beloved you are to God, you start to settle into who you are with your strengths and your weaknesses as you become the version of yourself that you were always created to be. And when we become reconciled with God and reconciled to ourselves, then suddenly it allows us to start to take the focus off of ourselves. 
It allows us to begin to turn our attention towards others. It allows us to begin to long for and want that same kind of wholeness and completeness that we are feeling for all those around us, not just those immediately around us, but those in our community and our cities and our nation and our world. It's no longer just about what we need, but wanting to help others find what they need. Which is why it seems almost strange that with everything going on in her life, that Mary's first order of business as soon as she leaves that meeting with Gabriel is to pack her bags and go to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she arrives, she breaks out into song. And I'm telling you that she would have been perfectly justified at that moment in her life to make it about her, to make it about what she's going through and all that she has to deal with. But instead, out of her lips comes the most beautiful song of justice and social conscience and protest. The Magnificat has often been said to be the most beautiful, radical, revolutionary song of social protest ever sung. As Mary talks about the, the humble being lifted up and those who are exalted being brought low. That those who, who need good food will be filled and that the rich will go away empty. This song was so powerful that in the 1980s, I don't know how many of you know this, but Guatemala actually banned the Magnificat because they were so afraid that if people took it seriously, they would want justice too much. Because once you know that you have been loved by God and you begin to love yourself, then suddenly you want that kind of wholeness for everybody. It's another point of connection that I have with Ryan right now because as she's turning 15, she's suddenly all of a sudden so aware of the world and what's going on around her. She's joined the, the uh, Model UN at her school and this uh, JSA that talks about current topics in the world and, and she's been helping to lead protests for the environment and for women in Iran. When we understand how beloved we are by God, our heart and our mind goes out to others. We stop hustling and posturing for our own worth. And we start wanting the world for those around us. When you feel that love, as it begins to fill your cup, fill your cup and overflow, you can't help but it getting all over the people around you. And you never know the difference that that love is going to make in the life of another. I mean, really, think about it for a moment. Who do you think was the first person who gave Jesus this idea that nothing was impossible with God. You remember those words? Jesus said them when he was healing the blind man in the Gospel of Mark. 
He said, believe, nothing is impossible with God. The exact same words that Gabriel had said to Mary 33 years earlier. Where do you think Jesus got this idea that the whole world was upside down, that God was going to create a new order? When he preached the most important sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he began it by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Those were words that came directly out of the Magnificat. As Laura said in her, in her call to the offering, when he said that God will fill us with good things, those are the words that, was, that Mary sung in the Magnificat and then Jesus echoed 34 years later as he was feeding the 5,000. Can you imagine Mary holding Jesus in her lap and singing this beautiful song, this song of justice and of freedom to Jesus over and over again? We will never know how this love that God has poured into our lives is going to affect the people around us, but it happens more than we will ever know. And then in the most, one of the most important prayers ever prayed, again, 34 years later, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives as his disciples wait over in the wings, and he prays this prayer, and he's scared, and he doesn't know what he wants to do. And he prays to God. He says, God, if there is any way that this cup can be passed from me, please. And then in the middle of his prayer, it's like something clicks in his mind, and he stops mid-sentence. And do you remember what he says? But not my will be done, but yours. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be to me as you have said. It's like right then in the scariest moment of his life, he had the words of his mother coming back to him from sitting on her lap being weaned by her. This week, Trevor Noah had Will Smith on his show for Will's first real sit-down interview since the incident at the Academy Awards with Chris Rock. And I thought it was really actually very touching to hear how open and honest and vulnerable he was being as he talked about this, what he called the most horrific thing he's ever done. And at one point, he teared up as he talked about how this rage bubbled up inside of him, how when Chris was talking, what he was hearing was some of the abuses that he had gone through as a little boy about some of the things he had witnessed his dad having to go through when he was a little child. And all of a sudden, it was all about these things from his own past that bubbled up and threw him into a rage when he said he just lost it. And then he said, and I thought this was so important, he said, Look, I don't want to make any excuses. But I think that this is such a perfect reminder that hurt people hurt people. 
And yet on the other side of that equation is something that's even more true and more powerful. And that is that loved people love people. What is it about Mary? Well, even then, in the most difficult moment of her life, she knew she was loved. She knew that she was adored by the God who created her and cherished her. And that changed everything. Be reconciled to God so that you can be reconciled to yourself. So that you can love others in ways that will literally change this world. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this, this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Amen. We are so grateful you have joined us and hope this episode helped fuel your mind, body, and soul. This podcast is produced by me, Janice McQueen Ward, and by Cameron Ward, who also created the music. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to our podcast and support us financially through the Give page of the BPC website. Until next week, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.